All right, good morning. It is good to see everybody today. Um, welcome, those mostly viewing on line. We are glad to see you. Uh, uh, we have, obviously, you all have sent out the text, but uh, we're going to meet online, but it does have a definite ending point in the sense when we go back to orange, um, we'll go back, right back to what we had been doing. So, all right, today is the culmination of our um, series, The Inequity of Grace, uh, The Unfairness of Grace. And, and our scripture today seems kind of odd for a Thanksgiving scripture, but it's really the end of the message and it has been set. But in the end, it is the most wonderful act of grace that we have ever seen in the world. And in that sense, it is what we can be most thankful for. Our scripture comes out of Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing this, seeing what happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered together witnessed this sight, saw what had taken place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would guide the meditations of my heart. And Lord, I pray that you would guide the words of my mouth, that each one that is listening to this message would receive what you have for them here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, this is an amazing story and, and probably... Uh, symbolizes or, or we see in this act, Jesus on the cross, uh, no better image of the inequity of grace. As the centurion said, he said, surely this was a righteous man, a man that had not sinned. He was the only righteous man, and yet here he hung on a cross. I don't know what could be more unfair an example of more inequity than, than this picture. But this is the part that is amazing about God's grace. This seeing Jesus upon the cross, giving his life for us. The, the one that did not deserve it, paying for those that did deserve it. And so we sit here and we see this amazing, amazing act of love and grace. Jesus on the cross. And then we see when we read in the biblical narrative about the different people that had watched this. And just think about the darkness that was felt. They thought he was the Messiah, those that still believed, those that still followed. As we read in our text, the women still believed and they were there and they were following. Imagine what that felt like. 
the, the, the gut punch that was, their friend, their Messiah, their Lord, whatever they thought, they had this deep relationship, and now he was gone. The feeling that that must have produced, the darkness that must have hovered over their head. You know, it's funny, this last few weeks, um, when, when we seemed like we were coming out of this, I had talked to several people, and, and they had come talk to me, and they were all sharing this same thing. The, the, this idea that they had gone through all the early pandemic, and they've come this far, and they felt good, and, you know, pulled their bootstraps up, and we're going to get through this, and they felt really good, but they were sharing with me they're in some kind of weird state now. And it seemed to be a common denominator that I want to go out, but I don't want to go out. Uh, there, it was this kind of depression. And, I, and, I, and it was more than just a few people. And it, was, it was very odd to me. So it was something that I was uh, paying attention to. Why is this happening? And then as I began to go through this and think about it, you know, I think um, that term that was very popular when it first came out, the new normal, right? I think they didn't really believe that when it first came out. It was fun to say, and then, but then as it drags on and we go take two steps forward and one step back, I think deep down maybe they begin to think, maybe this is the new normal. And it began to weigh on them. Just, just the, the longevity of what was going on and the setbacks and everything else. And I thought maybe they're beginning to lose hope. And that's devastating when we begin to lose hope. We're a people of hope. But when we begin to lose our hope, that's when things begin to deteriorate. Mentally, spiritually, relationally. There's a story about a town in New England many years ago that they were going to dam this river and as a result there was going to be this huge lake, but as a result there was this town, this cute little vacation town that was going to, uh, whenever this took place, going to be underwater. And when the announcement of the dam came and what was going to happen, this town that was so well kept up began to deteriorate. And things began to fall and nothing was being painted or fixed and weeds began to grow because there was no hope for the future. And that's the same thing for us. When we begin to lose hope, Viktor Frankl, um, a theologian, ooh, I got stuck, um, said in Nazi concentration camps, those, you could always tell those that weren't going to make it because they were the ones that lost hope if they weren't looking towards the future and didn't accept that this was their new normal. When they began to accept that this was their new normal, they lost hope and things began to go downhill. And so as we look at our text today, as we think about these things, I want us to realize as people of Christ that we are, we are a people of hope. And we never accept the status quo. Let's talk about another virus. And let's talk about how God thinks about accepting the new normal. 
So, when we look back at chapter 3 in Genesis, we see a virus entered into our world. And so when we saw through that story, we see that uh, Adam and Eve, they, they do something that, that triggers this virus in the sense that they do not trust God. They do not obey his command. They choose their will over God's will. And so we see this virus that has infected this world from the beginning. And the, as devastating as this disease has been for people financially, um, uh, emotionally, physically, it's been devastating, right? They're devastating for our entire country, either directly or indirectly. But this virus that was activated back in chapter 3 has been much more devastating. And its death rate is 100%. It is sin. It is selfishness. And it has destroyed and uh, uh, devastated people and people's lives and people's relationship, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. It has left great devastation throughout history in its wake. And we know patient zero in that case. But as we look at the devastation that it causes, and it's not just, it's collectively in our communities, in our societies, and it's also in our spirits. Anybody remember the story of Dorian Gray? Right, where it, it was an old story that got made into a movie many, many years ago. But it was of this uh, person that basically sells their soul to the devil and so they flourish and they take advantage of people and they they have this very hedonistic life he has this very hedonistic life and meanwhile there's this picture of him that's stowed away in the attic and now even though it looks like he's flourishing and living his best worldly life now this picture is slowly getting distorted and disfigured and it's representing what's happening to his soul this virus of sin distorts and devastates each one of us, but individually, but also collectively. You know, we, we can see the symptoms of this. It talks about the symptoms of this virus in um, Galatians. It says, it's the symptoms of sin, or as it says, the works of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, division, selfishness, dissension, factions, when you see that in a community or in the world or in relationships or in a person, you know that that is the symptoms of the virus of sin. But it also tells us what, what it is to be healthy, what it looks like to be healthy. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Where there's goodness, where there's peace, where there's joy, where there's love, either individually or collectively. You know there, there is health in that body. There is health in that person. And it's somewhat scary because you look at our country. You don't have to watch the news very long to say, which is our world displaying? Is it displaying the symptoms of unhealthiness or healthiness? I think the answer is obvious. But, 
Here's how God thinks when he sees his children, his world, his creation in such disarray. When they, he sees what this pandemic caused, this cause of suffering and hurt, illness, depression. I mean, the list is long. He doesn't settle for that. He doesn't say, okay, that's, that's the new normal. Right? I think, I think we've kind of lived that as Christians and as in this country, uh, we've lived that without saying it. Because the bar get, just keeps getting moved in our country. It just, the things we accept, the things that become, that were, are now normal, that were never nor, normal, we don't really maybe say it, we haven't said it, but as it happens, we just go, oh, I guess that's the new normal. But if we're not careful, we can new normal ourselves far from God. And I think many of us have. Maybe our country has. But here's God. See, when, when sin showed up, when this virus at patient zero, and we won't just pick on Adam, we'll have patient zeros, Adam and Eve, right? He showed up. We see the devastating effects immediately. Right in the next chapter, we see murder and envy, hate, division between brothers. Sin divides us from God and divides us from one another. And we see that take hold and it spreads throughout the world into the point where Noah comes, right? God sends Noah because sin had gotten so bad and evil was rampant in the world. God says, God didn't just say when he saw that, he goes, oh, guess that's the new normal. He said, "Mm mm-mm. I'm not going to let them live like that. And so he sends Noah. He sends a flood to reset. When, they were, when the, his people, his children were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. He didn't just sit and say, mm, I guess that's the new normal. Although 400 years, some of them probably thought it was for some generations. But God said, no, he sent Moses to deliver them. Later, he sends David, right? And then he sends the prophets. He sends the prophets to, to call people. They had gone in. They had drifted from God. They were worshiping other gods. They were, uh, in some instances, sacrificing their own children. And he sent the prophets to say, hey, this is not the new normal. Come back. Come back to what God has given you. See, we have to be careful that we don't forget God wants so much more for us. Just like the prodigal son, right? He went away, he spent his, life, his money, his inheritance and hedonistic living. He spent it all. He found himself with the pigs eating slop. And he had two choices to say, well, I guess this is the new normal for me. Or remember his loving father in his wonderful home, and to turn back. See, God wants, like the prodigal's father, he wants the best for us. He doesn't want, he's not going to settle. He doesn't want us to settle. He always wants us to be looking towards him and, and praising him and thanking him for what we do have as we don't settle for the way things are, but we are to be usher in. We pray it every week, right? Your kingdom Come on earth as it is in heaven. 
We were supposed to bring the ushers of that. We are supposed to bring that into the world, that hope, that goodness, that peace. We're supposed to be the light of the world to show them a different normal than what the world knows. So this virus, even though God sent these people, his prophets, it continued until the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God says, you're still not getting it. You're bringing me your old diseased animals, your sacrifices. Try doing that to the governor. Just shut your temple doors. God says, this isn't acceptable. But my name will be great. And things will change. So keep looking forward. And then, as an answer to this virus that devastates humanity, that breaks our relationships, distorts our soul, this virus of sin and selfishness, God sent Jesus. Not, not just somebody that was going to deal with the symptoms, but he sent Jesus, his son, or we might say for our purposes this morning, he sent the cure. He sent the cure to this virus of sin that devastates, that separates. It was the greatest act of mercy we have ever seen. It is the greatest act of grace the world has ever known. On the cross, Jesus, if we're looking at sin as a virus, Jesus took our sickness on himself. He took, it says he took the weight of the world, the sin of the world upon him in the cross. He took our sickness, the sickness of the world, this virus upon himself. As I was writing that and praying about this week, I was at home and I, and I flipped, was flipping through the channels and I saw the Green Mile. All right, some of you remember that movie. And I didn't fully understand how the, the deeper implications, but I knew the, the, of what they were trying to say. But I know that there was this man on death row who had this gift to take people's illness. He cured a bladder infection of his guard. And then they took him and uh, the wife of the warden had cancer and he went and he took that cancer from her into himself so that she might be healed. That's what Jesus has done for us. We have all been infected by this virus of sin. It's devastated and altered our, our souls, our relationships in some form or fashion. And Jesus on the cross, the only righteous person, the only truly healthy individual that ever lived, took my sickness upon himself took your sickness into himself so that we might be healed. Isaiah says, by his stripes, we are healed. And that's the good news. Because God didn't look down at the world and see the state that sin has caused in our selfishness and say, well, I guess that's the new normal. He said, no. I'm going to come and I'm going to heal their hearts. I'm going to heal their souls. 
and they will be renewed and reborn and recreated into my very image. And what I began way back then would be fulfilled for eternity. That's our home. That's our normal. And don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less in your life, in your relationships, in this world. We are always striving to reach that normal, to bring the kingdom of God on heaven as it is in earth and all the glory and all the peace and all the love that comes with it. And we are always striving. And when things seem the darkest, that's when the light shines the brightest. I had a meeting with some pastors in the local area, um, big churches, small churches, and boy, it was spirit-filled, and, and it was all about how people are going to be open, are going to be open because of their hurting, because uh, oftentimes people don't seek God or seek the healing Jesus offers because they don't think they're sick. We think we're pretty good old people, and so we're not seeking we're not going to the doctor because we don't think we're sick. But what, in the, in the midst of this situation, people are hurting for a variety of reasons. People are suffering. People are depressed. People are lonely. People are sad. The list goes on. And so we can have an opportunity to be the light, to go and to say, I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering, but I know where you can get healing. We can be agents of that healing. So never settle and don't fall into that trap of saying, well, I guess it's a new normal. I guess it's a new normal. Because then we get further and further away from God. But God's name will be great. He will be praised. And we are a people of hope. Think about this scene as I close. Jesus is on the cross. He has given up his spirit. It is the darkest time in the history of the world and for his followers. And the darkness is heavy. And yet out of that comes new birth and healing. And resurrection. And as we move into Advent, out of the darkness comes this light. We are people of hope. We are people of light. And we can be guaranteed of our healing, our salvation, not because of our own doing, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to communion, let us be reminded that out of death comes life, out of darkness comes light, and so Lord, we are always living in your hope. Lord, may this sacrament, as we go through it, remind us that you took our sickness on yourself, that we might be healed in your people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a world desperately in need. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.